0: You're listening to the two Gatherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. Hello, and welcome to the Togetherings, hosted live by the Alaska Humanities Forum. This is Simonetta Mignano, and I'm here with Dr. Tony Biscop, who's partnering with us on this two Gathering series. Hi, Tony.
1: Hi, it's great to be here.
0: The Togetherings are conversations presented in a series of three episodes, with each one focusing on a different theme explored from Alaskan perspectives. Today is the first conversation of this series on structural racism, and this episode is about structural racism in medicine. We are recording at the Out North Studio in Anchorage on the traditional land of the Dena'ina people. As I mentioned, uh, Dr. Tony Biscup is partnering with us on this Togethering series. And I wonder, Tony, would you tell us something about yourself and how your path connects with the topics that we're going to explore?
1: Um, sure. So yeah, my name is Tony, and I um, am a internal medicine pediatrics uh, physician. I work at the Alaska Native Medical Center. Um, my interest in this has been lifelong, I would say, uh, in at least in inequity and injustice. Um, I've witnessed it a lot growing up among my family, among um, people close to me, and uh, and then. In various jobs I had in education and now in medicine, I've just seen a lot of the impacts of, of racism, um, a lot of which have to do with uh, the way the world around us is built and the systems are built. Um, yeah. Oh, well, thank you.
0: We're excited to be partnering with you on this series. Um, to talk about structural racism in medicine today, we have two guests connected with us. Uh, Dr. Allison Hill and Dr. Davis Baines. And sorry if I didn't, if I mispronounce your names, maybe you can uh, correct me. But anyway, hi.
2: Hello.
3: Hello. What a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much for being here.
1: We're really excited to have both of you here and appreciate you taking time out of your busy lives to be with us. Um, We were wondering if both of you could uh, just tell us one or two things about yourselves that you think are important for people to know about who you are?
2: Beauty before age.
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> How generous, Dave. Thanks. Hello, everyone. I'm Allison Kelleher, uh, and I have um, several different teachers who I'd like to honor, not necessarily by name, but just let you know that I've learned from Alaska Native, Native American, and Hawaiian elders. And I think that's important to know about myself as well as that I've studied from um, different cultures, including Indian subcontinent medicine or Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and, um, and from other backgrounds such as European herbalism. And in addition, healers are named by their community in that uh, people have been seeking me out since I was around four years old uh, for help, um, mostly with uh, their physical bodies and ailments there. I think it's helpful to know that uh, traditional healers are still around and that I've been trained as one. So thank you so much for that opportunity to share.
2: Yeah, I am Clinkett uh, and Simsian from Southeast Alaska, grew up on the res- our reservation, the Simsian Reservation. And uh, um, had plans of going into the Marine Corps like my uncles and cousins and uh, seeing the world and then settling down to a nice blue collar job like everybody else. And uh, they weren't hiring in 1972 because they were demobilizing from Vietnam. So I got a job in our tribal sawmill and then was horribly injured, got my legs crushed, and uh, was had to find another path because that uh, wasn't open to me anymore. So I ended up uh, in medical school at the Mayo Clinic and uh, became the first physician from my tribes. And uh, turned out that uh, my path was to really learn about how I could meld both the traditional and the Western medical approaches to healing and um, I had a lot of, like Allison, I had a lot of people mentor me, mostly, uh, medicine people, both from American Indian tribes, as well as other Aboriginal groups around the world and, um, including Hawaiian and, uh, Australian Aboriginals and Maori, but, uh, the, um, and the creator himself through ceremonies and stuff that, uh, gave me instruction and help, uh, in that way. And so, yeah, now I'm retired. I went into family medicine because it made the most sense being, since I wanted to live in a rural place where most, uh, reservations were. And I've worked on a lot of different places in Indian country throughout my career and had a great career. Now I'm a, I'm a dad. I just take care of my kids. have little kids while they're growing up, but
0: Thank you so much. I'm very
2: happy to be here.
0: We're very excited to have you here. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, thank you for being here. Um, We usually start by asking our guests, what's your connection or experience with the topic that we're going to explore? And I think you touched on that briefly, I guess, with your introductions, but uh, yeah, what's your connection, your experience with today's topic?
2: Well, gosh, the whole education system is like structured so we're, it's not very much more difficult. It's much more difficult for us. For instance, uh, once I decided to do like uh, pre medical studies at Arizona State, then the, um, it's, it's not okay to make somebody else look bad. So being competitive, like trying to make other people look bad, is actually against. Protocol, And if you go against protocol, then your, your path is more likely to be more rocky. And, uh, and so I had to really think about the, um, how I could work that out. And so um, actually was sitting on the steps of the Arizona State University Library, enjoying the scenery and trying to really work through this Went And uh, so I thought, well, the um, two areas that in our culture is okay for us to be competitive is in um, combat and in um, sports, and so I decided, well, I would make it a game to beat them at their own um, in their own setting and make it a fight for the well-being of our people, and so then I kind of could. Like, work around that, that issue. And even when I was speaking to students, like in Australia and New Zealand and other uh, groups, even the Taiwan um, tribes, the, tribes in Taiwan, then um, that really resonated with them because they had like the, the same kind of issues um, coming into medicine, like not, not feeling comfortable trying to beat somebody else. Um, and make them look bad. So did, yeah, lots of different, different parts, but that was probably the earliest uh, thing that I noticed really in my career, Allison.
3: Thanks, Dave. So, I feel like since the time I was little, I noticed that something was different in my hometown in that um, folks from King Island had been relocated to our east end. And so even our town um, seemed um, segregated in some ways and continues to be. And I think Mm -hmm. there are, are struggles there with that. And so I, because my family is polychromatic, (laughs) I have um, siblings of uh, different shades of color. And so that has been really interesting in that my parents come from a multiracial relationship. And so, Looking at how does that influence people's uh, willingness to travel, um, their choices in their career, what opportunities were given, and sometimes listening to people talk about, you know, other groups of people in a particular way, perhaps in a judge way, and um, understanding some of those dykes over my career. So what affords someone? Um, access to or access to information. A lot of these things are influenced by perceived race, these other constructs that in a lot of ways are created by society rather than intrinsically true in and of themselves. So I'd say throughout my life, I've seen, you know, access to healthcare, access to housing, Education and other aspects of our modern life are influenced by perceived race. So, in particular, I'm seeing disparities now in healthcare as one way that I can um, start to do and continue to do more advocacy, but in particular, valuing traditional Alaska Native ways, life ways, and healing modalities as being valuable.
1: Thank you both. That's, that's really amazing. And, um, Dr. Kelleher, you're from Nome originally, is that right?
3: Yeah, I was born and raised in Nome, though okay. my father's family is quite on the Athabaskan. So we're from the middle Yukon from okay. around the village. Yeah. Of
1: okay. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, this, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, well, so what you say about the perceptions of others, you know, I had very similar experiences with different colorings in siblings and other family members and um, noticing the difference that my brother, my brother and I were treated differently from my sister. She's lighter than us. And, and um, it is, it's about perceptions, but perceptions play out in every aspect of our lives. I'm wondering, uh, could you, um, I was really interested when you said from the age of four, you were um, picked uh, as a healer. And I'm wondering what, what did that look like?
3: That's a great question. So in retrospect, I didn't really know that there wasn't like a, a big something that happened. I just um, started walking on backs. Uh, and so when I look back in my life, I realized, not everybody has had that experience, not every physician, not every traditional healer even has had necessarily this experience. But Mm -hmm. um, in examining my life, I see that my family asked for help. So they um, would say, hey, your sister has some aching pains or perhaps your dad has some aching pains. Let's see if you have enough heft and ability to walk on this back. And so I would be propped on a back and my hands held and gently learning how to manipulate, um, really through, um, my intuition, but also understanding that family had a long history of generations of healing. And Mm -hmm. so my great grandmother was in person in, um, our culture from the upper mud river. And I just, um, I also started listening to my brother who had a speech impediment and could not be understood by the rest of my family. And so it Mm. was my job to interpret what he was saying and also communicate that. So from the time I was preschool, if you will, I was helping others within my family. And that progressed later to me finding a particular interest in botanicals and um, also just uh, influenced my interest in medicine, really, in order to validate our traditional ways.
1: Yeah, that's really great. Thanks. Um, and Dr. Baines, I was really interested too in what you said um, about your experiences in the educational system and the competitiveness of it. I mean, you know, a lot of people describe the culture in medicine, starting from medical school, as being toxic um, in large part because of that. And um, do you I'm wondering in in residency and then after do you still um, did you still feel that when you were working or uh, had you just you know been able to come up with a way to as you explained um, work with it differently
2: well the um, I was lucky to go to um, be the first American Indian student at the Mayo Clinic and the, their culture there was it Unlike um, what it was in college, it was uh, pass fail, and so uh-huh. the um, so they actually was were encouraged us to work together collegially to 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 learn and to figure out the uh, what was going on with patients and things. So, um, but it's not to say there wasn't people still trying to be the first to get the correct diagnosis and that sort of stuff. But it wasn't near as cut cutthroat like it was in the pre-med yeah uh, um most of the stuff that was um you know because i was the first one there it was fairly uncomfortable in fact when i moved to rochester the first thing you know we'd arranged for a place uh and a, a house to rent and um the, went to the store to get things to set up our new place and uh, um like, I just noticed there's, like, this was in Minnesota, and I noticed there's, like, more blonde people uh. than there in that store than I thought was in the whole world. You know, I mean, it was just, yeah. like, um, very, and so, um, and I r- realized that I stood out, quite obviously stood out there. I had uh, one of my first patients uh, was very complimentary to me about how my English was. Uh-huh. Um, oh gosh you really speak pretty good English you know for Indian and um the uh so and then I one time I had one of the the deans of, uh, of the school walk by me on the street as I was running to a different rotation and he goes hi Sam and Sam happened to be the Chinese kid in my class um Sam Ho very uh um accomplished gastroenterologist but um you know, that didn't feel very good, like getting mixed up with a Chinese guy. Um, Mm -hmm. But most of the stuff that was like in medical school was more just people were very uncomfortable because they didn't know how to deal with me since they'd never been around somebody like me. And then, um, you know, people were, you know, they fell back on what they was normal for them. But then, you know, that made things worse. Mm -hmm. So we had to get in our first year videoed for, um, in a patient encounter with a professional patient and the, um, the, uh, I was the only one that had to do more than once. And I had to do it a bunch of times cause they said, I'm just not looking the patient in the eye, but you know, that wasn't comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, they finally gave up. And actually the, um, I didn't know why it wasn't okay. I mean, I just knew it wasn't okay. So I actually called home to the reservation and asked some elders, you know, why, why do we do that? And so they said that looking somebody in the eye means you don't trust them and that you're trying to see if they're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And so it's disrespectful. And other than European cultures, almost all, like most Asian cultures and virtually all aboriginal cultures, eye contact is considered to be not okay. Mm-hmm. So um, actually one time was having a interview with a person trying to be and come to our residency and um, he kept trying to get into my vision. Like he was even one time was like squatting down on the floor because, you know, I was looking wasn't looking at him and it made him uncomfortable but um yeah eye contact is in most cultures is is not okay it's disrespectful
1: i'm wondering um thank you that yeah i mean that's an excellent example and um and i think a lot of uh a lot of these cultural differences you know have, have they happen again and again and I'm wondering, um, do you see a shift? For this is for both of you. Do you see a shift now? How many years later? um, In how things are being done, or you know, there is a little bit of cultural diversity training, equity, and inclusion uh, in medical training, although um, not enough. By any means, but have you noticed a shift in these sorts of things over
3: time? Absolutely. I've noticed a shift. Um, I'm currently adjunct faculty at UAA uh, for the WAMI program, and I'm really impressed with the opportunity to have real conversations and you know, practical Uh, skills to create um, interventions for microaggressions and just a real active dialogue as well as a curriculum that continues to evolve around equity and particularly addressing those um, structural aspects of of racism and how that plays a role in who becomes a physician and who we see as our patients and what contributes to their comorbidities right so their um, disease process or complaints and Um, why different folks suffer in disparate ways from access and access to health and manifesting health. So I think there is a a great change. That's not that we don't have much more to do, but we like to say it takes seven generations to affect important change. So I try to be patient.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's, that's actually really reassuring, you know, to know that there has been some positive movement in the right direction.
2: I mean, I think, too, that in my because I started in med school in the early 70s. So i um, been through this in a long time. There's only when I got into med school, there's only a little over 100 American Indian physicians in the country. Wow. And so, um, of course, I've seen a, a huge change in that. But I think the majority of um, American Indian, Alaska Native kids coming into, um, the medical field now are much more acculturated than I was coming off the reservation and like with social media and all that sort of stuff. Like, I think the, you know, that some of the things that I had are just not as more, not as common as they were. Like, um, when I was in med school, I had this, um, friend that was Hopi from Arizona and, um, he was very traditional and um, like they have issue with touching like dead bodies. So when you had to do mm-hmm. your cadaver work and stuff, like he did ceremonies and stuff, but like, he never got over that and ended up, even though he was passing everything, he dropped out. Like he Aww. just couldn't get past the, that he had done a cultural taboo, even though is he'd done ceremonies to try to make it okay. It, um, it, it just didn't, um, you know, he couldn't get through it. And, um, yeah, it was too bad. He was a great guy and would have made a great doctor, but, um, yeah, he just could, couldn't do the cultural difference was just too much for him.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the issues I think is, you know, the loss that we all face because of, of structural racism. Um, it's not just a loss to your uh, classmate, Um, but it's a loss to all of us to not have the opportunity to have um, him as a physician and working with, with us.
2: And I think, you know, he went to a great med school. Um, It wasn't, he wasn't, he was at a different school than me, but uh, you know, they just didn't have the infrastructure to help him like with that. I mean, I think that he in different setting, like, I think that and, and that's actually where like institutional racism happens. And it, it wasn't yep. like on purpose, you know, but they accepted a student from a totally different culture and didn't have the infrastructure to support that kid yeah, um, through the process. Um, and so, uh, you know, and that's what I see. I don't think like there are very many institutions out there that are like flagrantly like racist, but like they, if they don't understand the culture and they don't understand um, the norms, like um, for instance, like in Native culture, like we have to have these pauses between between the speakers out of respect. But in you know in European Western society, those people just talk on top of each other, and so they'll say, "Oh the." that Indian kid's really quiet, but they never gave me a proper opportunity to have anything to say because I they there was never time, pause enough time for me to be able to start saying anything.
1: Something you said, just, it really resonated with me. And you said that's part of the institutionalized racism and it's not necessarily flagrant, but it's um, that they don't make kind of room or space for other... Cultures, but it it's based in the idea that normal is white male, and uh, and so there's no space for for anything else. Um, and I I really appreciate what you uh, had to say about that. I think that's a great example. You I no,
2: I think though now women are more common in in medicine now than us guys. I mean, is the new generations are weighted the other direction, which is great. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, it should be more equitable and reflect more what's what what our population is. So um, yeah, I think that's, that part's going to change. It's been a long haul getting there. You know, I only had four women in my class. I mean, we weren't a very big class, but it was uh, uh, 10% of my class and now it's, more like 60% women. So, which is great. Like, I mean, it brings a whole new dynamic Mm. to the plate. You know, it's, it's great to have that worked hard all my career to, to work against um, racism and inequities. And uh, it's great to see some of the changes.
0: And, I wonder, um, in this sense, if you could speak about um, what is our capacity and maybe some practices that we can adopt on a daily basis um, to, especially you as health practitioners and like, what do you think about um, how can we change towards health equity? How can we uh, resist uh, racism in medicine?
3: So to me, that means really being involved and engaging um, in our communities and creating allyship with those who also have um, the power to effect change within the systems. So recently I've been working with the Association of American Indian Physicians and their other partnerships through the American Medical Association and even was just perusing the CDC website in regard to what is really relevant these days is the Mm COVID-19. And seeing the disparate representation of Alaska Native and Native Hawaiian peoples in Alaska as far as the numbers with um, Alaska Native people Um, suffering up to a third of the um, deaths secondary to COVID-19, whereas we're only perhaps or lucky to be um, and honored to be 16% of our population in Alaska. So that disparity is is pretty obvious. So for me, daily, I think about how can I deliver personally, um, in a personalized way, care that honors my traditions and does create that space and time for me to be a native person. Um, And also how can I uh, find a meaningful and comfortable platform for me to do that networking and advocacy. And so, you know, this um, opportunity today is a perfect example of what I can do each and every day. And each of us has an opportunity that we can seek out to. To find um, our words and to really create the space to listen to others about their needs as to how we could affect change. So really coming together and finding those practical ways to define what it is and define what uh, you know as far as racism, structural racism. What is the problem? And then further, so what do we do? And how do we make a plan? And yes, our plans may fail, but we still need to create those those plans as time goes on.
2: I think too encouraging people to just learn more about other cultures they live with. For instance, I I work most of my jobs. I worked with um, very diverse populations, so you know I always tried to learn a few things, like saying an "hello" and "thank you" um, in the languages of the people I was working with, and making sure I understood what their um, norms were as far as like how far, how close or far do you stay from them? What is your speech cadence? Um, All those things that um, I was taught growing up, you just, you, you know, the elders would say, you know, if you're asking a question, that means you're not paying attention, that you should be able to learn from paying attention to what you, the world around you to, um, you know, and figure things out. And uh, so I was working with my kids to, teach them, you know, always pay attention, <laughs> you know, not just when you're hunting or fishing, but always paying attention. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, I, I love learning about cultures and the, and there's so much of the culture that's embedded in the language and the, you know, just the way they talk and the way they use their words, and, you know, and I just think it's fascinating I mean, encourage people to learn about the different cultures and learning the, you know, that really we're, we're all related, but we're, you know, we, just because we're different doesn't mean that anyone's better or worse. It's just, we're different. And to, you know, welcome those differences and embrace them instead of being afraid of them, you know, people naturally, their basic instinct is to be afraid of different, but like, you know, the elders taught us that, you know, you first have to learn to be uh, good self-esteem and then you learn how to have good relationships with other people and then eventually when you have the ability you learn how to respect all things around creation so people that don't get through that first you know learning how to respect themselves they're going to have a real hard time with learning how to respect other people like they can't take it's building blocks right and if you don't get that first layer down it's just not going to happen so um so yeah, I think the, you know, it's. Uh, I think that part has gotten a little bit worse with, you know, especially with our current administration and not their their politics. You know, their their attitude towards, you know, women and minorities is does not. You know, I think it allows those people with those th- uh, kind of beliefs to be more open.
0: Are there? Um venues in which you um can integrate um traditional medicine and with western medicine um in your current job and you how do you do that um
2: because well oh, there's a lot of ways to do that like for me the um you know so traditional medicine it, um probably was like 80 percent spiritual um not that they there wasn't like the healing touch or like Lomi Lomi with Hawaii, the, the um, hands-on kind of massage thing, um, like massage therapy kind of a thing. Um, and uh, certainly there was um, herbal stuff with using the plant, you know, medicinal plants and things. But um, those traditional healers, they could, there's a thin veil between the spiritual world where we came from and the physical world. And those people are able to go back and forth through that, because, I mean, ultimately, it's a creator's healing ability that we're trying to access, and um, which takes a very high level of, of spiritual knowledge and gift. And so, um, the um, yeah. So how I did it was, you know, I just I prayed every day that the words and medicine that I used to do the best for my patients and then um you know there i have multiple multiple cases where the western medicine wasn't working and the traditional medicine did um and uh yeah i don't know there's how much time there is for that sort of stuff but um but yeah and it, it didn't matter what color or anything my patient was i still um approach them in the same way that, um, that my healing gift was a gift that the creator gave me. And I had to always treat it as a gift that if I started thinking like it was me that was doing the healing, then that gift would go away. And so, um, so like I could never say it was, you know, me that did the fixing, you know, just the creator allowed me to do that.
3: Thank you so much, Dave. I remember meeting you um, early in my career and feeling like it was a a real inspiration to me to see another Alaska Native person valuing our traditional ways and and traditional healing. Very inspiring. So thank you so much. You know, I look back over my career um, and sort of starting in my undergraduate is where my first opportunity to really dive deeper into traditional healing occurred. And so... I was honored to train at UAF where um, my ancestors had even prophecy that people from all four directions would come together to solve the problems of the future. The legend of Troth Yeda and how... um, How leadership would come from that heart of Alaska. And I was able to create an interdisciplinary degree there at UAF with the help of especially my professor, Kelly Drew, um, who gave me research opportunities and, and really inspired. She believed in my vision that traditional medicine had a place in Western medicine in Alaska, that if you will, that our medicines were valuable and that I could find success and could help others with this um, with this approach. So I found opportunity at UAF to study Alaska Native traditional ways, um, Native American philosophy um, and religion, and our history. And then later at the University of Washington um, Whammy program, I was involved in the Indian Health Pathway program, which allowed me additional education about our Alaska Native and Native American history. And then I was afforded the opportunity to intern with, uh, with healers there in the Seattle area. And my mentor, Terry Mareska, an Iroquois uh, primary care provider, family doctor, um, who is also very knowledgeable about traditional and other plant medicine. um, became my my mentor and so I continue to work with her uh, today so throughout my training including uh, my residency and I also interfaced with the University of Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine. And so within integrative medicine, which is science-based holistic medicine, I'm double-boarded in family and integrative medicine. And integrative medicine allows us to use these ancient ethno-medicines, Chinese medicines, acupuncture, and also our other types of uh, global medicines as a global heritage, to uh, To deliver healthcare, and so we can um, see that if the risk of treatment is relatively low, that we can apply uh, treatments. Whereas if risks are higher, we should use more science and resources to um, to support the use of those modalities. So I've also worked on the reservation in Sells, Arizona, working for the Tahana Otham Reservation. And there I could um, develop an acupuncture program, honoring traditional Chinese medicine. And coming back to Alaska, um, a few years ago, I worked as a primary care provider at South Central Foundation, where they also have a traditional healing department. So I transitioned to becoming a traditional healer and a tribal doctor there and was named the first tribal doctor within that system that also carried an MD. Um, So like Dave, I'm also the first medical doctor in my tribe, but to be the first medical doctor who was a tribal doctor was quite, uh, quite an honor. And so i found that in each of these institutions and each of my educational experiences i could be more of who um, more of who i really am or want to be as far as a practitioner but currently i find that within my private practice at snow creek medicine here in anchorage that's where i can really be the doctor that I believe I need to be I can take the time I need everybody gets an hour and um, whether uh, I'm offering uh, hands-on treatment or considerations of uh, botanicals or supplements or vitamin d whatever it is versus refilling medicines or performing procedures I feel like I can I can do what I need to do and what I feel I need to do now as well as creating the time for teaching so I hope that answers your question Cleana
2: when I was in med school the first year I was doing well but had a lot of cultural problems just coping with that and so I actually got a job and the brief summer we had to work with kids high school kids in on the assistant reservation in North Dakota in South Dakota and um, northeast corner of South Dakota and um, it was great like these kids Mayo gave me a ton of resources and I was tutoring them in math and sciences. It was so much fun. I had no teaching experience, but these kids who apparently were supposed to be their problem kids, they just soaked it up and they did like a, we did almost a whole calculus college calculus text in a week. Like they just were unbelievable. They just needed somebody that looked like them and could communicate with them to like, do, you know, really open them up. And I, while I was there, I got invited to my first sweat lodge ceremony and the, um, I'd actually been considering dropping out and doing something else because I just couldn't see how I could stay Indian and be a doctor mm. and um, so I th- hadn't actually told anybody I'd not eat my family anybody but um, my visions have always come like for some reason in the third round of my my lodge sweat lodges And in the third round, the medicine man started praying for me to finish my training and because it was important Mm. for our peoples. And i had cut my hair to go to school because it was kind of during the hippie days. And, you know, Mayo is very concerted place. And Mm -hmm. I knew it would be less distraction for my during my training, but it um, was hard for me to do that. And so in his vision that he gave me, I had my hair back long and was working with Indian people. And so in a total traditional way, he didn't tell me how I could stay Indian and do and use my culture and be a doctor, but he showed me there was, it was possible to do. And so then, you know, so I went back with renewed vigor. Like for instance, like I was working with a high-risk OB doc from Native We were delivering some twins, one that was quite tiny, and the other one that was actually stealing nutrition from its sibling. And um, so I did a little ceremony for the little one before we went in to deliver them by C-section. And uh, it turned out the little one actually didn't have any trouble. The big one did. And it actually taught me that to not forget the other one when I'm uh, doing my traditional um medicine but i had a lot of instances where um you know i ended up using the the ways that the traditional healers gave me to get through really tight situations um that saved people's lives and it was uh a real honor to be able to do that
0: that's powerful yeah thank you so much for sharing
2: in fact, one time I was in the Seattle airport and an OB nurse came up and she said, oh, Dr. Baines, it's too bad. We could have really used the other day. We were just having a lot of bad things happening. And just it let me know that they she was letting me know they they recognized that just my my being on on the ward had made a difference. And so I was really like pretty cool to see that um, that they recognized that that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. It really
0: makes me think how um, healing has to deal with listening and curiosity.
2: Yeah, listening is very important. Not just with your ears.
0: And in fact, something that you uh, were talking about before um, makes me also think that knowing it's not necessarily just an intellectual process, but it's an experience too. You can know with your heart. And um, I wonder if um for doctors in medicine like everything is extremely tied to science at least in the predominant perspective predominant um uh narrative and i wonder if you have any thoughts on that
2: go ahead alice
3: yeah so with a background in science uh and that training, I know there are limitations, right? So science, with the phenomenon of the hypothesis, um, and uh, do we really ever know anything for real in science? It's it's an interesting it's an interesting question. So science is changing based on the evidence, and. Okay, um, Guy. I could go kind of out there with this, actually. I think that when we do physics studies, it depends on whether or not a conscious being is present. That can influence the outcome of these different molecular studies. So yes, science has a place and it's important. And I think we must rely on that to a certain degree, especially when there's high risk. Um, or it's so like, for example, there's vaccines coming out. We need to have some safety and know that they're reliable and effective. So, of course, science plays a role. But on the other hand, there's traditional knowledge and traditional ways that have existed Uh, For we can prove, you know, 16,500 years, if you're talking Tangle Lakes in interior Alaska, we could say that culturally, you know, as humans, we've existed on the planet for hundreds of thousands of years, as hominids, millions of years. So we've been in deep relationship with our surroundings, our medicines, our medicine ways for generations for as long as we can remember. And those ways are also valuable. So remembering that, um, is important, and I think when we have a multi-billion-dollar, super expensive, very complex, clunky, not efficient medical system, mm-hmm. uh, we have to think of other opportunities for for wellness. And so, my elders have taught us these traditional ways, such as sipping on, you know, tea that is perhaps um, a blueberry tea can be medicinal and then if you look at the science that supports that we actually do these days have science that shows that Uh, Blueberry tea, that was our traditional tonic, our traditional way of preventing illness or rather promoting wellness and keeping balance from our cosmology within uh, Koyakon Athabascan belief system. That actually has some evidence. So it prevents diabetes. It can treat diabetes. It's healthy for vessels. It's a great treatment for things like varicosities or also um, even people who are experiencing difficulty with blindness or vision or even uh, preventing or treating some mild cognitive deficit in those who have um, Alzheimer's-like diseases. So yes, science is important. And part of that is because it backs up our traditional ways, which is really exciting. We don't always have the studies, however. So I think we have to, or what I feel is I have to cautiously practice traditional medicines within this sliding scale of knowing, well, we've used this for a long time. I know dozens to hundreds to thousands of people that have used our Artemisia Telesi stinkweed tea mm-hmm. to promote health or prevent infection or as a topical. And so I have to also rely on this whole different way of knowing, which is the traditional way of knowing that is a hands-on experiential um, and also a personal way of knowing and being in relationship with medicine. So I, I hope that kind of answers your question
2: yes
0: thank you thank you
2: and i think that um western culture like it's always saying is um like it compartmentalizes things in like tries to be splitting instead of putting mm. things together like for different mm. kinds of healing like whether it's traditional chinese or um ayurvedic medicine or our traditional medicine or western medicine you know it like we view it more like uh different Chess players on the board, like each has its own strengths and weaknesses and has its, um, you know, situations it's better or, or less better in. And so, um, it, and it really shouldn't matter, like, what it does the healing, which system does the healing, is to just that it's more important that the patient gets well and so like it didn't matter to me if the chiropractor was the one that fixed my patient or the surgeon was the one that fixed my patient or you know the, a counselor was the one that ended up um helping the person through and getting them better like it shouldn't matter to me what like which approach did it it should be more important to me that the patient got better and um You know, I think that that's what gets lost in the system is like, yeah, it's not us against them. It's, you know, we're all in this together, try to make everybody healthier, help them to be the best in the best health they can be. And of course, they're the most important person in this whole process because like, you know, what lifestyle they have, you know, that's really the, a lot of the issue is their crappy lifestyle is putting them in situations that, um, Bring on, situation. You know, diseases that otherwise wouldn't be there.
1: I love everything that both of you have shared, and um, it's very powerful. Um, and I, I love hearing about each of your stories and how you've ended up where you are, how you integrate things together. And um, I feel like your patients and your your mentees, your students, are very lucky to to have you both. Um, as is the world of medicine at large. Um, We're getting close to the end of this episode. So do you have some parting wisdom for our listeners?
2: When I was early in my practicing and I was working with the Association of American Indian Physicians and I was on their board and stuff, we worked very hard to, um, at that time, the Indian Health Service made it very difficult for our young Indian and Alaska Native docs to get to work with the people, at the population they wanted to get into. So we worked very diligently and were able to um, correct that um, for the most part. In fact, I had that issue as well. When I got out of residency, I tried to volunteer in some places that I knew that my um, girlfriend had a, uh, she was a dietitian and had a place to work and had an opening. But um, they would only offer me places that um, were not conducive to my my uh, family, mm. and so um, worked out okay. I ended up after being disappointed, I got a better job working in private practice on a, on tribal land, I, mm. and actually was got to work with the family of one of my um, one of my mentors, Dr. Gerald Ignace. I uh, got to take care of his family and things, so it worked out well for me in the um, in the long run. Um, however, later at the end of my career, I, um, ran into a guy that, um, when he was, uh, giving me a lot of issues, he said that he had lost his position with the area office in Oklahoma city because of our work in ending that good old boy network. So sometimes it, what goes Mm. around can come around and it Mm. ended up, uh, biting me in the hind end eventually but that's okay I wouldn't change what that hard work we did to correct some of that um that racism and stuff but I think that we just have to keep working at it recognize it's there I think a lot of people just think oh it it's not there especially people that um don't have to face it every day but realize that it is there and say something like if you see something that's not okay I got um kicked out of a restaurant downtown the um, fifth avenue cafe just -hmm. because i was indian and Hmm. the people still they all saw it happen the owner came up to me and said we don't want your kind here but nobody left or said anything right so that what they do is they make that okay Mm -hmm. you know that they acknowledge that racism is okay to do by their and even the workers the chefs looked at me and they, they Shrugged, you know, but they didn't do anything to change that. So I think we need to have people like stand up and, you know, say something about when it's not okay. If you see somebody treating somebody not okay, we need to like do something.
1: We need allies.
2: Yeah. I mean, we just need people of courage. Yeah. I mean, there was a thing in the paper where there was a black guy jogging near his house up on the upper hillside and a lady came up to him and said, Hey, you don't belong here. I mean like that's not okay.
3: Yeah and how the community ultimately dealt with that was they started his allies started running with him and they've transformed that story in a really meaningful way yes I know that individual that was really really moving so we need like happens
2: multiple times every day like it is not yeah and I don't think you can you can't legislate you know racism but what you can try to do is make it Um, So it has less power.
0: And I feel like over the past few years, racist people have been um, almost supported, protected by a system that allows them to behave in a racist way. Um, And that it is traumatic and unacceptable. And um, we have to change that.
3: Dr. Kelleher, what are your parting words of wisdom? I feel education is the great equalizer, so access to information for all ages regarding what does it mean to be an ally, and how do we step up and show up for each other when we see injustice, and how can we uh, link arms and and join minds and hearts uh, across all of our differences to continue to help each other and find inspiration in the moment, but building a better tomorrow. So education, especially in our professional studies. So those of us that are privileged enough to gain access to uh, uh, professionalism and professional training, Mm -hmm. that we have that um, knowledge and experience to practice the wisdom of allying and advocating, just as Dave was saying, we need to, um, in addition to joining our organizations when we have time to to create that that dialogue um, and ultimately mandating um, equitable outcomes, mandating those things that will result in us making sure that folks with Medicaid have similar outcomes to those folks who don't or rural and urban Alaskans and Americans have. as as similar of outcomes as we possibly can. So using our science and our power to help uh, minimize the effects of racism and all of that that means. Kuyana, thank you. Kuyana. Kuyana.